Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 141 with Caitlin Gleason of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Goh, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. I am the CEO of Founder Magazine and the founder of Founder Magazine and the host of the Founder Podcast. And today we have an amazing guest, the founder of Eligible.com, Caitlin Gleason. And uh, she come out of Y Combinator. She's done it two times. And one thing that, you know, I haven't mentioned this to you guys, but I recently joined, oh, actually about a year ago now, almost a year ago, I joined this group, like a little bit like a mastermind called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Incredible group. And, uh, you know, you meet some really, really smart people. And, uh, you know, you, you join this thing called a forum, which is like your little group. And there's, you know, nine people in our forum here in Melbourne, and they have chapters all around the world. And I catch up with uh, this group of nine people every single month. And, uh, you know, we talk about our challenges. Uh, everyone has all sorts of different businesses in all sorts of different industries and niches. And we all talk about our challenges and we help each other work through them from experience sharing. Uh, it's not opinion, it's experience sharing, which is really, really cool and powerful. And where I'm going with this is the common things that I've found from being in an EO and speaking to you know entrepreneurs, startup founders, these are the, these are the common things that uh, you know entrepreneurs, business owners, startup founders face. One, cash flow. Two, people. And literally, those are the number two things that people always face, cash flow and people. And uh, 
In today's episode, we talk with Caitlin about managing people when you have a fast growth startup, hiring strategies, leadership strategies, how to manage the growth while you're finding and building out a leadership team, how to utilize your advisory board. So it's a great interview, a lot of gold shared. And I just wanted to share with you also, uh, before we jump in, uh, you know, my vision for founder is to build a household name entrepreneurial brand. And I have the vision of having tens of millions of people consuming our content every single month uh, across the magazine, across the podcast, across the blog, across our social, you name it. Right now, I've got millions of people, but not tens of millions. And another thing that you know I'm working towards and one of my other visions is to build an amazingly powerful startup education platform, the best in the world, because there's a lot of educational platforms, but nothing curated at a really high production level just for entrepreneurship and founders. And that's what we're working on. You know, by the end of next year, I want to have at least 40 highly produced, really, really high quality courses. And uh, we're, you know, we can't teach them, just having a, the founder team teach them. And from a series of surveys, you know, speaking to you guys, uh, we've found out that one of the biggest problems that we have in our, um, that, that, that our audience has is 30%, a subset of 30%, haven't even launched a business yet. And then we further asked those people and said, what kind of business do you want to launch? And everyone said they wanted to launch a physical product business. So we've found an expert and that's what we're doing. We're just teaming up with experts and finding the best in the world that are just absolute superstars, proven founders to teach how to do X or how to do Y. And we're just about to launch our first instructor-based course where we've teamed up with an instructor and getting them to teach it high production, high quality, and it's on how to start an online business, in particular, how to sell a physical product. So if you want to know how to start an online business, in particular, a physical product, please do make sure you sign up at foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce to get on the early bird list, to get the early bird special pricing. Uh, if you are listening to this and you haven't launched a business yet, we want to help solve that problem. Uh, this person actually has been on the Founder Podcast. She's got four multi-million dollar e-commerce brands. She's an absolute superstar and uh, you're in for a treat. So please do go and check that out. All right, that's it from me, guys. I've told you enough about the vision, where we're going. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? Uh, how did I get my job? As in, right, the founder and CEO of Eligible, my job today, currently, yeah? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> I've never had someone ask me that like that. Uh, okay, so I started out as an actor in New York City, and I was actually really frustrated because I didn't really have many job opportunities. I sort of went to school um, out on Long Island in New York. And I went, you know, for acting, did very, very well in school, though, um, graduated at the top of my class. And, you know, all throughout high school and everything had like one of the highest sort of IQs and was just always in like gifted programs and things of that nature. And just felt like very unused and very not put to work um, by being an actor, a sort of like broke waitress actor in New York City. It just seemed so wrong to me. I was about 23 at the time. And um, I became really existential about jobs and about work. And it occurred to me that I would have to work. Um, I don't come from anything. So background wise, 
Um, my family, you know, really struggled my whole life and there were four kids. And if I wanted a shirt, you know, it was my job to go out and get that shirt. So existentially thinking about jobs, I was like, God, if I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life, it better be something I really care about that can be, you know, my life's work and that I can really invest all of my time and all of my energy into. So I started just like on my own sort of existential journey. I started reading, um, biographies of like every major legacy, you know, in the world, everything from like Madame Curie to like Jane Austen to Ayn Rand to Benjamin Franklin to anything and everything, uh, Abraham Lincoln, anything and everything I could possibly get my hands on just about people who had what I feel like had sort of lit their torch in the world and like let it burn really bright. Um, again, I was like 23 needing a job and decided, okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to make this work. So uh, the only thing I really knew at that time how to do was sell. So I started to look for a sales job. I had one prerequisite for the job. I kind of knew I could walk into any place and get any sales job I wanted. So I said, okay, I'm going to get a sales job where I could be working for the people who made the things that I was about to sell. Because then I felt like I could like at least help them make their product better mm. if, the, you know, shit sucked. So I found a company via Craigslist, which they hate when I tell people that story. They're like, can't you like make up something more romantic like than Craigslist? But I found them on Craigslist. It was like a startup company that worked with doctors. That's, you know, what's going to lead me to my job at Eligible Now. It was a startup company. They had an iPad app. It was 2010. They were the only iPad app in the app store for doctors. So anytime a doctor got an iPad, that was the app they downloaded. So we had like incredible distribution right off the bat. So found these two founders. They had built this iPad app. That was really interesting to me. And I was like, okay, I can help these guys. They don't know how to sell. I can go and sell this thing, um, make them a ton of money and like get my sort of way into this world that I didn't even really knew, know existed. Prior to that, I hated tech. I was an artist. I thought tech was like ruining everything. So, yeah, so getting uh, that job with them is what led me to healthcare. It's what led me to tech. It's what led me to startups. And it's what led me to a program called Y Combinator, which is uh, a really prominent investor group that's invested in Dropbox, Reddit, Airbnb, Stripe, and just some of like the most successful startups in the world. So we get into Y Combinator. I'm with this company. I learn all about this sort of culture. And I see a huge problem that's not being served in healthcare with patient billing um, and insurance billing and sort of streamlining that process for providers. I always tell a story that I was working with like one of the top oncologists in the country. They were, you know, curing cancer essentially. And they had like $5 million worth of their own money wrapped up in, in health insurance companies out here just because they filled out paperwork wrong. And that was just so sad to me. Like this doctor should be focusing on like medicine and curing cancer. And like, he's like filling out paperwork wrong. And he's got stacks of paperwork that he's sending me to like help him get this 5 million of his money. So it was like, just so sad to me. So I identified that problem out there in Silicon Valley. I um, what sort of went off by myself, sat at my kitchen table for nine months on $5,000 all I had. And then a whole shitload of credit card debt. 
and literally sat there by myself at my kitchen table and was like, I am going to put together a prototype of how I will solve this problem. It is going to happen. And I just got very obsessive. I, I did not see my family, my friends for like that entire time. And I just focused entirely on trying to build some proof of concept that could help solve this problem. Nine months later, I had like just about run out of money. I would tell the story that I like walked into like a yogurt store and like I tried to get a frozen yogurt and my last credit card declined. And I was like, oh shit, I am so screwed. Like, what am I going to do? And literally, I think it was like two days later, I raised my first batch of money and that was from YC. And thank God it was like 150K. And I was able to like pay off all my credit card debt, like before any interest hit. But um, yeah, I always tell that story because it just shows you like you're so close to absolute destruction and failure. And then boom, it just happened. So I had a prototype, it was a working prototype. I had like one customer, they were paying me for it. And like I got into YC, raised 150K and I could start like building the company. Uh, right after YC, I was able to raise 1.6 million. So I took that for three years and just obsessively built the company very quietly. Uh, what we do is we go out and that's like how I have my job, right? So like we go out and we connect to every major health insurer in the United States. There are thousands of different health insurance policies, hundreds of different payers. And we go out and we, we build connectivity to them. And then we make it simple for folks at Cleveland Clinic, which is a major hospital out here, uh, RadNet Radiology, which is a radiology center out here, for them to interact and build interfaces with all of these insurance companies. That's what we do. And I said, like I said, for the first, you know, the first chunk of the company, there was like eight people. We were, you know, just a real hardcore startup. Um, and I brought us to profitability, you know, making over a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. And then I went out and raised capital like a big check. So I think all in total now we've got about 25 million that I've brought in, but that was after we sort of like proved product market fit, proved our first customers were ramping up, grew 8.4 X and, you know, we're making a lot of money. Now the company is 53 people and I have my job now as CEO and founder, which is changing every single day. And yeah, that's how I got my job. Yeah. Wow. That was an incredible story. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, about a, a prototype that you worked on for eight, nine months before you got into YC. What did that look like? And, and how did you know what that would be? Yes. So I did not first. Um, first of all, it ended up being an iPhone app that could check a patient's eligibility. So it could check for patients billing responsibility if they were going to get a service of care. So it was an iPhone app that as a patient, you can put in your, your insurance info and then you could get like your deductible information, your co-insurance information on behalf of whatever provider we were demoing for. So provider means like doctor. So whatever doctor we were demoing the app for. So it's just like a simple app prototype. So in the beginning, I knew that there were, so there's something called HIPAA in the U.S. and that came out in 96. So when I first went out on my own, I, okay, I was like, okay, I know that HIPAA actually forces the insurance companies to put this information out electronically. So most people don't know this, but the P in HIPAA, it's actually not privacy, it's portability. So like they're forced to port out this data. And I know I was one of the very first people to really understand that and, and kind of share that information with Silicon Valley. 
Um, but I knew that they had to do that so I could leverage that. And there were a lot of old like aggregators in the space, like very old Byzantine aggregators that you would pay a ton of money to, but that they would, in terms of like per transaction, like every time you sent them a transaction, you pay them like 50 cents or something. But it was enough that I could build on top of them just to start and show the proof of concept and show, hey, people really would want this, even if and we're not processing high volume. So doing like five or 10 transactions at 50 cents, it doesn't matter. You know, now we do 12.7 a month. So that would not be possible. But back then that was okay to just kind of show a prototype. And yeah, it just kind of led from there. So like I, I kind of just followed the pattern, did a lot of reading, found the right people and then like kind of put it all together in this simple iPhone app that really didn't do much, but just proved that the concept was possible. I see. And with the prototype, you designed it, uh, you, you developed it yourself. Mm-hmm. So you self-taught to. You- yeah. So with the prototype, I went out. Yeah. So I sat there. So again, like I went to school for acting, so I had to teach myself everything. Right. So I under, I, like, I remember the first time I made us a website, it was the most ridiculous website ever. And I made it myself and I used like GoDaddy and like wow. FileZilla. And like, so when I first realized that code was like a bunch of TXT files and I like sat there by myself and just like, you know, I, I even back then kind of knew about like XHTML and like CSS and like I knew if I could like I would build up a prototype in like Photoshop and then give it to like front end folks to like make me that and then like I went and like uploaded that on FileZilla like with GoDaddy it was like ridiculous but that's what I did in the very beginning and then I was able to recruit my uh, my fiance at the time his cousin and he was like an iPhone app developer and I like paid him at first and then eventually gave him equity, but just had him like build the iPhone app. And I built all the, like back then it was just nib files. There were no storyboards. So I would just build all the nib files and then he would like go and like plug them all up. So he did the iPhone app development. And then I went on stack overflow and I found a gentleman who lived in Brussels and he had like four kids. He was like 50 years old. He like worked at IND Bank and I got him to Moonlight and just helped me to, again, this was just a proof of concept prototype. So like we didn't have to ever reuse this code and like we don't use it today, but he could like help me just build the proof of concept of like going to this aggregator, sending this inquiry and getting back the results and, you know, just kind of really keep it very simple through that. So that's how I got like that first prototype built. And I did so much, like I remember even things like very simple things that now like it's actually insane for me not to have known, but I didn't even know what a REST API was at that point. I didn't even know what JSON was. When we were, uh, you have to use this very old Byzantine format via like something called X12 and that's what's mandated to use in the United States. So we were using that and then we were building like an API on top of it, which is what we do today. But I was like having the dude send me like a string of variables because that's what I knew how to parse. Like I didn't know what JSON was. I had to literally like go on Stack Overflow to figure out what JSON was. Like, and it wasn't even, I remember asking them, I'm like, I'm having him send me a string of variables. I, I, I think it should be XML. And someone, someone was like, oh, you should probably use JSON. I'm like, all right. And I start Googling JSON. <laughs> like it's ridiculous to go back. And like all of that is like public. You can go back and check like 2011, like my question of should we use JSON? <laughs> I mean, it's like really funny stuff. 
so yeah, it was a real, for me, this has been a real personal lifetime journey. You know, I, I have learned so much over the past five years because of this and like have taught so much to myself and then have learned so much from other people. But yes, I had to literally start from absolutely no experience whatsoever and just be enough to be dangerous. I mean, three years in when I was running eligible, I was the VP of engineering. I was the VP of tech ops because we didn't have a leadership team. I was the CTO. I mean, for years, right? So like if we were setting up VPNs, like I was in there like setting up VPNs, like that's how it was going down. If we were building out our design, like architecture for logging, like I was in there, I can still talk to our tech ops team and our engineering team about that today. Um, So there was really, there's no part of our entire system that you can point to that I don't understand like how it works. At yeah. least today. Wow. That's, change, I guess. That's yeah, very, that's very full on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to do anything half assed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So when you got into YC, uh, did, did you join with the co founder? Was that um, your fiance's cousin? So, so that's actually a great question. So he came to YC with me. I went to the interview by myself and I got in by myself. And then he, I had him. And then I also tried to get this this moonlighter from Belgium to come as well, who I think I only actually ended up meeting in person one time out of that whole year that he worked with me. And they both have equity in the company still today. But the one in Belgium had like four kids and he just like couldn't commit to anything. And then the the young young lad preferred to like go to his like senior prom. And I was like, listen, dude, we're in YC. Like you're going to make a choice. We're going to do this or not. So he just I think it was even before demo day. So it was like a month before YC ended, he decided to leave. And, you know, we let him best and take some of his shares, but he decided to leave. So here I am, like non-technical co-founder sitting in Y Combinator, like the best thing in the world. It was devastating. Like talk about like the lowest of lows. And I remember going to see Paul Graham. I had like an office hour and I like walked into the office hour and I was like, I cannot go to demo day. I was like, I can't go by myself, you know? And, and then I started, to, then he's like, well, all, he's like, put all that aside. Let's talk about the product. So we had gotten the product to a pretty stable version. I mean, decent enough that it was a decent enough pro- prototype that we could have like a live customer who's paying us. I think it was like $5,000 a month. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was like something. And it, he was like, wait a minute, you have something, it works. It could be ginormous one day. It's going to, I mean, it's healthcare. So the market is just, gigantic it's a huge problem you solved it for yourself on your iphone app and now you can go solve it for for tons of other people why would you give up now and like i just needed that like i just needed that you know like i just needed to not feel alone like for that second and thank god i i I sometimes wonder i'm like god would i have just given up like then you know but yeah here i so i went to i went to demo day by myself solo founder no technical co-founder and was still able to raise the 1.6 million. So it was very, very happy. And it was mainly just raising it on the vision, on the opportunity, on the inbound. Cause we did have quite a bit. We did a soft launch on Hacker News and just with that alone, no PR, nothing like that. We had incredible leads coming to us and still do to this day completely organically. So you kind of knew, God, we're definitely building something people want for sure. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. That's really impressive. So still to this day, single founder, sole majority share owner? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a uh, single founder, majority shareholder, full board control. So I'm in full control of the company to this day. Awesome. 
Okay, fantastic. So when I go to your website, it says you guys are now a Fortune 500 company um, and that you've scaled, which is I thought was interesting. You said perfectly scaled from startup startup to the Fortune 500. Um, I, I talk us about scaling this company. So to be clear, that's in regards to our customers. So our, our product scales from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Does that make sense? Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, okay. That's my bad. No, no, no worries. No worries. Yeah, so our our actual products, so the mass majority of our customers that generate, you know, millions of dollars in annual recurring revenue for us, they are public companies. So when we go out and bring on, you know, like I said, a Providence Healthcare or a Cleveland Clinic or a Radnet Radiology, these guys are doing billions of dollars in annual recurring revenue, and we're increasing their revenue sometimes by, you know, just astronomical numbers. So, yeah, so we work with a lot of top, you know, billion-dollar public companies, and then we can also work with brand-new healthcare startups. So you have someone like uh, Omada Health, which is like a big sort of buzz healthcare startup, or you have someone like Council, or you have someone like Everyday Health. And these guys are all, you know, quote unquote startups, but they are able to use us in the exact same way that, you know, billion dollar companies use us. Gotcha. Gotcha. I see. Okay. So talk to us about, um, I guess, uh, building and growing the business. Has it been easy? No, there's never been anything more painful than growing this business. Um, I, I would say my favorite year was like the first year when I was like, well, the most peaceful year was like my first year when I was just like laying out on the grass and like thinking and planning and being an artist. <laughs> Growing this company has been such, I mean, it, I, I love challenge, like I love challenges. So for me, growing a company is like the ultimate challenge it changes every single day. Every single day, I feel like I'm failing and I have to figure out like a better way to solve a problem. So last year, we we more than doubled our team size. So now we're 53 people. And I think the single most important piece of advice that I was given last year when this was happening, or actually before it happened, was go out and hire a killer leadership team. Because as you bring in a killer leadership team, they will bring in their squad of killer employees. And it was so true. And it seems almost counterintuitive or something about it didn't seem obvious to me. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that I would not have thought of that had someone not explained that to me. But it was absolutely true. So I go out and I hire, you know, a VP of tech ops. And all of a sudden you have five, you know, incredible tech ops engineers that want to come and work with you, right? Because they've worked with them before. This guy's been doing it for 20 years. He's reliable. They adore him. They just want to be with him, right? So like all of a sudden, you've got all these folks coming and working for you. Exact same thing happened with our VP of engineering. Same thing happened with our CTO. Same thing happened with our chief security officer. And these are all like heavy duty, really far advanced, you know, technology folks. So yeah, that was the absolute best thing I could have ever have done. Had I not done that, it would have been even more painful than it is. I think being a girl does make it actually really hard. I don't mean whatever. I shouldn't even say it's being a girl. Being sensitive makes it really hard. I think that I had to really put a lot of feedback 
in perspective when you're growing so fast and there are so many new faces, everyone has an answer as to what way you should be doing something. And I think I was a little sensitive to that. And I think that lended itself to just being a little bit more painful than it had to be. I think now the second time around, so we'll probably double our team size again this year. That's going to be tremendous, right? That's going to be a huge difference from, yeah. So I feel ready for that now though, because I have the infrastructure in place. I have like just the processes in place, right? Like I have the leadership team in place, like with our vision, everyone's on the same page. Everyone's saying like has the same vocabulary that we did not have that a year ago. Right. So I feel like, okay, yeah, now doing it will be so much easier. God, this last year. Yeah. Huge, huge learning experience. That's for sure. Talk to us about uh, the leadership and management uh, piece, because even, even though bring like uh, you, like you have to manage all these people, right? Yeah. The hardest thing that I had to deal with was understanding that your leadership team is there to execute on your vision. It's sometimes, again, super easy, like hindsight is twenty twenty or whatever they say. But definitely seems logical, right? But for some reason, it was counterintuitive to me. So your leadership team is there to understand, you know, and execute on your plan. Yes, it is absolutely their job to push back on you. But it is absolutely their job to execute on the plan that you lay out together. And that is really, really important. And I, I've read a lot of, you know, good books and I think it's high output management and then there is like the one minute manager and there's just like a lot out there that you can read but that was really important for me to grasp that no they're mean and they are to be your sort of arms throughout the org right so the closer you are with them the more on the same page you are with them and you can't like I could I wanted so bad in the beginning to control them it sounds so bad, but like, it was so wrong. Like I wanted to like control it. And it was like, that's the absolute worst way to go. Like from my experience, at least what I found is that the more I give them context, the more information I share with them, the more I I just give them more and more just details, the more they automatically do what makes me happy because then they're in, they're in the groove too, right? Like they see it there it's just so much better so that was the big thing that I had to learn this year was like instead of trying to control and kind of micromanage and you just can't help it when you go from something so small to so big so fast like and just me being the person I am I just wanted to like micromanage everything and it was the worst it just resulted in the exact opposite results that I wanted so I found as like I kind of like let go of the micromanaging, but focused on information, focused on context, focused on getting them everything they need. Um, that really, really worked. I see. That makes sense. And how often do you catch up with them? Oh, I'm in constant con- I At least like once a day, I'm having just like a quick interaction with them, um, depending on where our focus is, you know, especially just like focus for the quarter. You know, I I may spend, you know, every day at some point during the day for an hour a day with, you know, a certain part of that team. It all really depends on where the focus is for that quarter. Got you. I see. And do you do, do you do uh, stand-ups with them daily? Yeah. Uh, So daily, uh, and, and that's kind of interesting because I'm so in the weeds when I do take the time to be with them. It's that 
stand-up does sometimes end up being a bit longer, like an hour, but it really is to just kind of break down, you know, what's going on. But yes, definitely daily, not daily with all, daily with whatever focus there is for that week. Gotcha. I see. And and you plan out the weeks and the months and the quarters? Yes. Yep. Got you. I see. And talk to us about the domain, eligible.com. That's a very, very, very strong domain. When did you guys acquire that? Yeah. You know what? Um, so we got it last year only. Uh, we just got the trademark as well, which is very nice. Very happy about that. Mm. Um, yeah, it is killer, isn't it? I mean, that's a hell of a word. Yeah, mm. I was very, very happy about it. Yeah. And what did you have before? Eligibleapi.com. Got you. And um, was it expensive? No, it actually wasn't that bad. I think it was like 250K. Yeah, geez. That's good. That is really good. I know, considering. I mean, it could get really bad. <laughs> yeah, we actually just recently acquired um, our own domain, so founder.com, but with our spelling. And uh, yeah, I can see I can see how, how that can get really, really expensive. So I'm also really curious... Um, you said you've raised was it was it over twenty million now? Yeah, so in total, a bit over twenty five. Okay, mm-hmm. got you. How do you work out when to where to allocate those funds, and also when to go for profitability? Yeah, so for me, I'm always shooting for profitability, just because I'm I'm that kind of founder, but I am also always investing in the future. So for, for us, it's actually super clear because we have a number of sort of deals or contracts that are closed, and it's just a matter of catering to those deals and getting those deals live. So for us, in terms of allocating resources, focusing always on the user and always on team. So if, if there, things are always through the, that vision, right? So making sure our customers are taken care of and making sure our team is taken care of, you take care of those two things, everything else takes care of itself. So that's definitely where the budgeting comes into effect. Um, and when we budget everything out, those are always our two focal points, um, customer and then team. Uh, in terms of profitability, you know, for me, our so our business is just great economics. It's actually not a sort of standard venture capital business um, in the sense where we do not um, have to have like negative gross margins and crazy things like that. We can argue that our only costs are infrastructure costs. So for every five cents that we charge, we get to keep those five cents. And that's kind of incredible for, for, you know, just Silicon Valley and just for tech startups in general. So our economics are really, really strong. They're really, really good. Um, The only reason we're not profitable right now is just an investment in growth. So it's an investment in getting these deals, which will make us profitable to, you know, substantial revenue and to, you know, deployments. Got you. And do you think you will raise a series B? There's a very good chance. Well, well, just a story. In terms of this capital we've raised, it's actually not an official Series A. Okay. Um, so we've done it. Yeah. So we've done it via just like super angel rounds. And that's how I've remained in complete control of the company. So there is like no other board member but me right now at the time, um, which is pretty incredible, um, okay. especially for raising that much capital. Yeah. There is a chance. Well, we just will never have to raise capital ever again. Got you. And would you, you, you would prefer not to? Absolutely. Yeah. Got you. I see. 
And um, are you able to share with us some numbers and some traction uh, and also what, where you anticipate in terms of growth? Yeah, so we have some things that we're allowed to say. So we do 12.7 million unique eligibility and claim cases per month. So that means 12.7 million patients run through our pipelines every month. Wow. That results in billions of dollars of healthcare services annually. So those are the numbers we're currently sharing today. Um, Forecast-wise, those numbers are looking like they could double by this time next year, um, if not more. But yeah, that's what we're comfortable sharing at this point. Okay, awesome. Now, I'm really curious, uh, Caitlin, solo founder, um, you previously worked at a startup doing sales, building a fast growth startup. How are you learning? Uh, most, most people, single solo founder, first business, that's a very, very high chance for failure. Yeah, I think that actually I'm keenly aware of that. And I think I am a bit OCD about it, you know, and I, I don't really have any other existence. And I believe truly that that's the way it has to be. I kind of kid around, like I had to go to some party with a friend the other day. And I think it was the first time I had been at a party in like six years. And even the friend is one wow. of our investors. So it doesn't even really count, right? <laughs> like that doesn't, that doesn't count, right? Like, okay, you're my investor. I'm meeting your other hedge fund friends. This doesn't count. So yeah, I mean, I just don't really have any other life other than this. You know, some folks think it's weird, right? Some folks, I, you know, you just get a lot of judgment about it. But for me, I truly believe it's the only way that it can work. I need expansive amount of time to think and dream and plan and build and repeat. So for me, it's, um, it's a full-on commitment. This is my child. I have no children. I have no, like, significant other. This is 100% Caitlin. So... Yeah, I think I, I think that's the only way that I can at least turn around at the end of the day and say, listen, I gave it my all to avoid, you know, some of the pitfalls. And, and listen, I fail every single day and I get back up. So I think it's also a bit of that as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting um, around the obsession piece. I, I, I agree with you. Um, but what about weekends and stuff? Like, like talk to us about hours. You're doing 80 hours still every single week. Um, I probably would say more. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, there's Friday night, I tend to like, I'll do something like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, hopefully sometimes, you know, like maybe I'll go out on a date, like maybe, you know, like Friday night, but like, I'm not like, really, that's it. Like mm. really, truly, that's it. Like, yeah, like Saturday, Sunday, like that's, the entire time. I mean, like I like some stuff. Like I like girl stuff. I'll get my hair done. I'll have my makeup done sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't really need to work out. I'm pretty tiny. Like I don't have that sort of love or whatever, but I like girl stuff. So like that's like my fun stuff. But yeah, like even weekends, absolutely. Weekends are my most important time because no one is asking me a million questions. Um, I work every single night. I work every single morning. Have you ever got burnt out yet? Um, yeah, I think I did in like 2014 and I was really able to just kind of give myself what I needed to get back and it worked out perfectly. I could recharge before the big growth spurt, which is nice. Yeah, I, I, I really, for everybody is different. And I think that because a lot of my work, I believe is date a lot. I, I'll spend hours daydreaming and to me that's work. 
You know, I will sit there and have to think or go for a walk or just drink a latte and like that to me. And, you know, I'll go off on my own and like do that. And that to me is work. So it's not just crunching the whole time. Uh, It's just kind of all consuming, I would say. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. But you're always on and I'm the same. I totally get it. Yeah. Always on. Totally get it. Uh, You said that when you, you burnt out, you recovered. How did you recover? I'm trying to think. So when I, when I burnt out at that point, I had not seen my family in like three years almost. I think I saw them like once they came out to visit in Mountain View, California, when I was building the company and they were so concerned about me. They, and I was like, why? I'm fine. They, they come to visit. I own nothing other than like a TV. Well, I didn't even have a TV. I haven't had a TV in like 10 years, but I had nothing but like my, no, my dad, I'm, I'm, I thought of TV because my dad, that's the one thing he asked for. He's like, how do you not have a couch and a TV? I'm like, no, you don't need it. But like, I had like my table, my, my iMac, my lip gloss and like my, like, you know, Murphy bed. And I don't know. I, I like it. Like I'm a, I'm a hippie. Like just give me that. Give me a latte. Give me my work. Like let me roam around. Like I don't know. I'm just into it. And they were all like, Oh my God. But anyway, when I burnt that, I hadn't seen them in like three years. So it was important. Like I, I spent time with my family again. I saw best friends who I grew up with my whole life who I had to like miss all their weddings. And I caught like one of their weddings at the very end of that spurt. And, you know, it was just things like that. And just re sort of aligning with that part of me, that really just more girly sort of, you know, sweet part of me. And I've been trying ever since now to like make sure that that part doesn't go away so that I don't have to burn out like that. I think that's the only time I burnt out is when I just like had to like turn off all that like sweet, warm, like, you know, part of me. So keeping that alive and fresh is definitely my like secret weapon. Mm. Do you meditate on a daily basis? I don't call it meditating, but I daydream. And that's actually really important thing to me because it's by myself. It's quiet. It's thought, right? It's peaceful. I love it. I don't think it's meditating, but it's super important to me. But you try and be present, right? It's super present. It's super present. I don't. I just think I call it something different. Yeah. I don't know. To me, it's daydreaming. Like to me, because I don't really dream at night. Like when I sleep, I don't really dream. It's this weird thing. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's so weird, right? But like, I bring them to life. Like they're real. And like my work, think about it. Like I'm working all the time, but I have to like go and meet with reporters, or I have to go and meet with investors, or I have to go. So I'm constantly like surrounded by like incredible, amazing opportunities and people. One thing I, I really agree with you around the, the daydreaming piece, just I think you need as a founder time to think um, whether that, and, you, yeah. and that, and that thinking time, you're, are you capturing it um, on Evernote? Or, yeah. Or, yep. So, uh, and I'll constantly turn over to either grab my computer or grab you know, my phone or grab my notepad or something, but I'm a big list and like jotter downer, right? Like I, I, ideas will come to me at all random times and like, that's the best. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones are the ones that just keep coming back to you during those, when you're dreaming about daydreaming and thinking about things are the ones that keep coming back to you more and more than the ones you end up pursuing or, or they go higher on your priority list. Yeah, I would say absolutely. And I would also say that 
depending on what we're working on as a company for that week or that quarter, they'll change, right? So they tend to not be the same thing over and over because for something to surface at that time, it's usually the most important and it gets done really fast. Gotcha. But it is scheduled? It does end up getting usually. Yeah. I mean, oh no, you mean my daydreaming? No, it's definitely not scheduled. I mean, it is because I'm in a rhythm and I know my rhythm and I know that on Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to spend like expansive time just sort of by myself and thinking and reading and walking. And, you know, so I do know that that is when that time will happen. Just it's not scheduled. No. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, but, um, hundred percent. Uh, spending time thinking or doing things by yourself, even because I think it has to be an obsession, is definitely underrated. That time thinking, um, that's when so you Agreed. get some serious gold. Okay, yeah. um, we have to work towards wrapping up. Was there any questions that you wanted me to ask you that I didn't ask you? No, I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm good. I yeah, feel like I've been able to share quite a bit. Okay, awesome. Um, Number one piece of advice for aspiring and startup, uh, novice startup founders? Just don't give up, right? Like I, I really don't think you should. I mean, if it's something you truly want and if it's something you are willing to devote your life to, then definitely I just remember that time when I almost gave up. And find the person who you respect and who you cherish and who can give you that little bit of a push that you need to keep going. Like Paul Graham did for me, right? Mm, yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. And where's the best place people can find you? Yeah, uh, Twitter is great. Obviously, Facebook is fine. LinkedIn is great. I'm super active on all of those mediums. Uh, they can always email me. It's just Caitlin at eligible.com. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Caitlin. It's an absolute pleasure so nice to speak to meet with you. you. Yeah, great to meet you too. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.